Welcome to another message from the teaching team at Elevation Church Australia. For more information about our church, service times and locations, visit elevationchurch.com.au. Are raising husbands' hands. Um, he might have, you know, got something secret that you don't know about and been ultra organised. Or maybe he'll be, you know, having to negotiate the forum. Anyway, whatever, whatever, whatever it is. And um, Jackie's already shared some great vision with you um, about this. But if I could just encourage you again, uh, Christmas Eve morning. I know it sounds confusing when you say Eve morning, but so that's next Saturday at 10 a.m. Um, is, is our is our Christmas service. And so uh, I want to give you a little bit of the why behind why. Then we'll, we were thinking, okay, uh, with the team, what's the uh, what's the date, the time that's most likely uh, people who wouldn't usually come to church? Um, when, when, when could we do a Christmas service that's, you know, the most likely to, to, to attract and be able to invite people? And we thought, you know what, Christmas Eve morning. Uh, I know it doesn't suit everyone. I know it doesn't work with every family's plans. But you know what? Um, our whole our heart behind it is to go, okay, how can, we, how can we invite people and use the opportunity that Christmas is to invite them to church, to invite them to Jesus and then believe that God's spirit and his power is going to move on their lives. Because, you know, our responsibility is the inviting. God's responsibility is to draw them and to see them come to that knowledge of Christ. So I'd love to encourage you. Um, you're probably awkwardly sitting on one of those flyers or there's one on the seat around you. Uh, grab one, invite someone, and um, we'll be seeing Christmas carols. We'll be uh, sharing very uh, simple but profound gospel message, and it'll be a whole bunch of fun as well. So, so join us and then go off and do your lunch or dinner or whatever you're doing and um, get ready for Christmas, which would be awesome. Um, but this morning, uh, I'm finishing up our, our Christmas series, which is called, uh, called The Gift. And so uh, Rachel opened it so powerfully two weeks ago. And as she talked about, we've been spending uh, these weeks leading into Christmas, discovering the greatest gift of all, and that is the gift of God's Son. And we've been doing that by looking at the gifts that were brought to Jesus um, by the wise men. So these were quite unusual gifts. Uh, we started with frankincense. That's not what you usually give for the birth of a child. But through these gifts, they will help us to understand more about the greatest gift, uh, which is Jesus Christ. And so uh, Rachel preached in week one that, that frankincense uh, represents Jesus as the high priest. That He's not some distant saviour who feels sorry for us, but the Bible talks about uh, Jesus being a high priest who understands and cares for us and that we can boldly approach God because Jesus is eternally our high priest. He's the one who has gone and made a way for us. And then last week I spoke about gold, a little easier to connect with. You know, we all want, we all want, want gold, but gold speaks of royalty. It helps us to understand that Jesus is King. And so last week we looked at, well, what's our response to that? We can be like Herod and oppose Jesus as king. We can be like the religious leaders of the time and just dismiss Jesus as king. Or we can be like the wise men and bow down in worship to him. And so this week, as we're speaking about this final gift of the three, uh, we're speaking about um, myrrh. So uh, interesting, um, I've 
I know we don't all have children here, but I know that our kids have made um, Christmas, Christmas wish lists. Some are written uh, quite creatively with different colours on pieces of paper. Others are text messaged to us with links from websites to make sure you get just the right thing. Um, you know, so I'm not sure how yours communicates, but I can confidently say that none of those lists contain myrrh. Like, there was no, like, Amazon link, you know, please, here's, like, you know, 250 grams of myrrh. Can you please, you know, send that, send that through to me? It, it, it's, a little, it's a little bit different. And so uh, I want to start by reading the passage where the wise men deliver the gifts. This is in Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through to 11. It'll be on the screen behind me here, or you can find it in your Bible. It says, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east, and we have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And when they had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. So they said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are you not the least among the rulers of Judah? For out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod, when he had been secretly called, uh, sorry, when he had secretly called the wise men, determined from them what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the young child. For when you have found him, bring back word to me that I may come and worship him also. When they heard the king, they departed. And behold, the star which they had seen in the east went before them, till it came and stood over where the young child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. And when they had come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary his mother and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened in their treasures, they presented gifts to him, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. So you might be thinking, well, that's great, but what on earth is myrrh? Um, before we get to that for a second, I want to maybe just uh, change your picture about that night a little bit, because um, we, we know that in many Christmas carols or even, you know, traditionally, um, this is depicted uh, upon the night that Jesus was born is when these wise men turn up. But it, it's quite possible that they didn't turn up until Jesus was maybe 18 months old. The reason we think that is because uh, later when Herod orders the um, um, all the... Uh, boys in Bethlehem uh, to be murdered, he, he says everyone under two. So he was just giving himself a, a, a pretty wide berth there, right? So, so we think that maybe Jesus was actually 18 months old. Now, I'm not sure um, if you've had or witnessed a or currently have an 18-month-old, but it doesn't always look like the picture that we think of Christmas. You know, baby Jesus lying in the manger. You know, we've seen the Christmas carols, no crying he made. Well, you know, he was fully God and fully human, so fully baby. So there was probably a lot of crying, right? So, so, so we get this picture of it being like this perfect, amazing night. But maybe the reality was it was a little bit different. It was still Jesus. It was still the divine birth, you know, born of the Virgin Mary. Joseph just sort of awkwardly being, yeah, I'm the father, sort of, you know, just, just, just being there. It was still all of that. But maybe it was just a little bit messier, a little bit different 
than we think. Can you imagine these wise men turning up from the east to an eight to an eighteen month old and saying, "Here are the gifts for you." Like was it was Jesus like hitting them in the face as he was doing it? At the same time, was he chucking a tantrum? We, we, we don't know. Maybe he was. Maybe he was. You know, the perfect child, or maybe as the Bible describes, he was fully God and fully human at the same time. So we have this picture here that maybe it's not the perfection that we think it was. And then not only that, um, but they come with these gifts and, and gold's great and frankincense is a little bit random. And even more than that, uh, I want to let you know what myrrh was used for. So it was a, it was a valuable like gum-like substance. It's mentioned about 17 times in the Bible. Um, it was occasionally used as an anesthetic. Um, so when Jesus is on the cross, he's offered a mixture of wine and myrrh together, um, which, which he rejects. But primarily, myrrh was used as the main ingredient for embalming the dead. But that's what it was mostly used for. And you thought that frankincense was a strange, um, was a strange gift for a, for a small child, right? So now you're thinking these are really strange. You know, who gives a gift to a baby, a small child that speaks about how their life is actually going to end? You know, it's like, um, you know, if you had a, a small child and there, some friends coming to give a gift to them. And like he, you know, have an envelope, got a card, open it up and you're like, oh, wow, it's a voucher to a burial plot. Thank you so much. That's so well planned and ahead of time. Very strange, very random. That's a little bit like what myrrh was like. It's not what you want to hear at the beginning and the start of life. Now, I'm not saying that the wise men necessarily had a conversation with Mary and Joseph and said, hey, this is myrrh because we know that he's going to be sacrificed as the son of God. And this is, uh, I'm not saying they necessarily said that. But what I am saying is that Jesus came to give his life for you and me, to be a suffering servant for you and me. And that myrrh is a prophetic picture. It's a, it's a representation of this, that right from the start of Jesus' life on earth, the arc of his life was always heading towards the cross. Right from the start, that was the plan of God. It wasn't a dark plot twist from God the Father later down the track that, that, that he threw in. But in fact, this was something that was always planned. This is the reason that Jesus came. Now, not only is this myrrh given as a representation of Jesus giving his life for us, but even earlier uh, in the book of Isaiah, which is written about 700 years before this happened, uh, there's a prophecy that describes uh, part of this suffering servant of what, what would happen to Jesus. So I'm going to read it for you. It's Isaiah 53, verses 3 through to 12. As he's speaking about Jesus, remember prophetically before, about 700 years, it says, He was despised and rejected, a man of sorrows acquainted with deepest grief. We turned our backs on him and looked the other way. He was despised and we did not care. Yet it was our weakness he carried. It was our sorrows that weighed him down. And we thought his troubles were a punishment from God, a punishment for his own sins, but he was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. All of us like sheep, sheep sorry, have strayed away. We have left God's path to follow our own, yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. He was oppressed and treated harshly, yet he never said a word. 
He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep is silent before the shearers, he did not open his mouth. Unjustly condemned, he was led away. No one cared that he died without descendants, that his life was cut short in midstream. But he was struck down for the rebellion of my people. He had done no wrong and had never deceived anyone, but he was buried like a criminal. He was put in a rich man's grave. But it was the Lord's good plan to crush him and cause him grief. Yet when his life is made an offering for sin, he will have many descendants. He will enjoy a long life and the Lord's good plan will prosper in his hand. When he sees all that is accomplished by his anguish, he will be satisfied. And because of his experience, my righteous servant will make it possible for many to be counted righteous, for he will bear all their sins. I will give him the honours of a victorious soldier because he exposed himself to death. He was counted among the rebels. He bore the sins of many and interceded for the rebels. That's a prophecy about Jesus' life. So we see this like 700 years before Christ even turns up. And then we see right at the start when Jesus turns up, again, we see this gift of myrrh representing that Jesus is going to go to the cross. He's going to suffer and die in our place. If you were a, um, if you're about my vintage and you were a church kid in like the 90s, 2000s, you may remember um, a band called Reliant K. They had a Christmas song um, called I Celebrate the Day. And speaking of Jesus, they sang this. They, they sang, uh, the first time that you opened your eyes, did you realise that you would be my saviour? I'm singing it in my head, but not out loud, because I want you to stay. Just so, just so you know. The first breath that left your lips, did you know that it would change the world forever? Powerful lyrics. The song ends with this. Um, I celebrate the day that you were born to die so I could one day pray for you to save my life. You see, in the midst of shopping and holidays and deadlines and financial pressure and tinsel and barbecues and the beach, I believe that this Christmas there is a calling from God that as Jesus followers, we should not just be celebrating His birth as the gift, but we should be celebrating the entirety of His life, which culminates in Him laying down His life willingly for us. Uh, I know some of you are thinking, hey, hang on, aren't you a little ahead of time? This is sounding a little bit like an Easter message. But as I said, this gift of myrrh at the birth of Christ as He is young, it points us to the purpose of Jesus' coming, which was to make a way for the whole of humanity to come into relationship with God. We could not do this on our own. No amount of good works, no amount of following the rules of religious duty can place us in right relationship with God. You see, you see, we have a problem and we need a God to send His Son to fix it. We, we read this earlier in Isaiah, the passage that I just read. This is verse 6 again. All of us like sheep have strayed away. We have left God's path to follow our own. Yet the Lord laid on, on Him the sins of us all. What should be on me is on Jesus. What should be on you is on Jesus. That when we lay down our lives, when we accept Jesus as King, our sin is exchanged for His righteousness. Uh, I'm not sure if you saw it, but as we read uh, that passage from Isaiah, you, you could read the things that it, that it says were on Him, but then uh, that they should have been on us. 
So, so this difference between, okay, this is what was supposed to be on us, but, but no, it's been placed by the Father because of His purpose to restore us to relationship with Him, it was placed on Jesus. You see, when we lay our lives down and accept Jesus as King, our sin is exchanged for His righteousness. 1 John 1, 1.9 says this, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. You see, as we do that, our arrogance and selfishness is laid on Jesus. As we do that, our jealousy, our anger, our rage, our road rage, you know, it's all laid on Jesus. Our addiction, our lust, our greed, it's laid on Jesus. Our unforgiveness, our bitterness, our self-righteousness, it's laid on Jesus. And yes, Jesus is our great high priest that's represented by frankincense. He makes a way for us to come to the Father. Yes, Jesus is King of kings as shown as the gold, in the gold that was given to Him. He is the ruler and all authority over everything. Every knee must bow its knee to the name of Jesus Christ. But also He's a willing, keyword willing, suffering servant as declared by the myrrh that points to His sacrificial death. You see, listen to Jesus' words in John 10, speaking about sheep again, recurring theme. It says, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father and I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. The reason my Father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I received from my Father. You see, like Jesus says in that passage, He chose to lay down His life for us. He chose to lay down His life for us. Why? As an act of total obedience to the Father and because of His great love for you and me, that Jesus would willingly lay down His life. You see, Jesus just didn't suffer for us, but He willingly suffered for us. Just before He goes to the cross, He's, um, he's praying in what's known as the Garden of Gethsemane. And He's praying, uh, praying so intensely that he's, that he's sweating drops of blood. Um, he's asked His team to come with Him and, and pray, and they've fallen asleep as well. It's just Jesus on His own before the Father. Many of you may know this passage. If you don't, it's okay. I'll, I'll explain it to you. So He's there praying, and He knows his purpose. He knows the kingdom purpose. He knows that he's going to the cross. He knows that he's going to suffer, that he's going to die, that he's going to, be, uh, res- that he's going to restore our relationship with the Father. But, but he prays in that moment of anguish to the Father and says, is there any other way? Is there any other way that this can be accomplished without having to sacrifice my life? And then, then there's this turning point where Jesus goes, nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done, Father. Not my will, but your will be done. You see, in the last few moments, I'd love to show you another young man in Scripture who comes to the same point as Jesus was right there, yet leaves God's path to follow his own. This is found in Matthew chapter 19. Um, You can turn there, it'll be up on the screen. Verse 16, Uh, this young man is generally known as as the rich young ruler. So someone came to Jesus with this question, Teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? 
Why ask me about what is good? Jesus replied. There is only one who is good. But to answer your question, if you want to receive eternal life, keep the commandments. Which ones? The man asked. And Jesus replied, you must not murder. You must not commit adultery. You must not steal. You must not testify falsely. Honour your father and mother. Love your neighbour as yourself. I've obeyed all these commandments, the young man replied. What else must I do? Jesus told him, If you want to be perfect, go and sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. But when the young man heard this, he went away sad for he had many possessions. You see, Jesus, as the suffering servant, showed us that in God's kingdom, the way up is down. If you try and hold on to your life, you will lose it. But if you lose it for His sake, you will gain. See, the person that we just read about, like I mentioned, generally known as a rich young ruler, he comes to Jesus looking for salvation. He comes speaking of all his achievements, all the the moral standards that he's kept and, and all his rule keeping. He comes that way. And notice that Jesus doesn't dismiss all of that and, and says, no, no, that, that, that's rubbish. He just decides to put his finger on an area of this young man's life that is not submitted to God. You see, right there, this young man could have made the same decision that Jesus made later on in the Garden of Gethsemane. I don't want to give up all of this. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. But instead, he does the opposite and walks away sad because he's not willing to lay down that part of his life in obedience to God. You see, he could have made the same decision as Peter, one of Jesus' disciples, when Jesus said to him, I drop your nets, now we're fishing for men, come and follow me. Uh, this young man could have made that same decision as Peter did to go, okay, I'm leaving behind what I've known and I'm following Jesus. Um, but he doesn't. He walks away. Why? The Bible says, for he had many possessions. He could not give up what he had. See, this young man didn't control his wealth and possessions. They controlled him. And so today, as we look at Jesus as a suffering servant, as we understand that he willingly suffered and laid down, laid down his life for us, I believe there's an invitation to each of us to lay down those parts of our lives that we haven't yet submitted to Jesus. And here's the spoiler. We've all got them. All of us, me, you, 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 all of us, we've all got them. We've all got those parts in our lives that we haven't laid down in obedience to Christ. And so this morning, like I said, I believe there's an invitation from the Spirit of God that wants to speak to each and every one of us here about those areas where we, where we just need to again say, okay, nevertheless, like Jesus did, not my will, but your will be done. Maybe Ben can come and join me on the, on, on, on the keys. Because I'm not sure what it is for you today. Maybe, maybe for you it's the, same, it's the same area as this rich young ruler. Maybe it's possessions and money. Maybe that's the area that God just wants to put His finger on in your life and just ask the question, if you can't, why? Why, why, why can't you give it? Why can't you be generous? Well, I don't understand. You don't know what, what's going on. But, but Jesus comes to say, you know what? There's, there's an area of your life that needs to be submitted to me in, in, in obedience. 
was an area of, my life, of, of our lives that need to be. Maybe for you, that's the area. Maybe, maybe that's the area to lay down at the feet of Jesus. Can, can I just kind of speak real for a second? Um, if you call Elevation home, if this is, if this is your church, and uh, you don't regularly give financially, um, can I ask by the Spirit of God, I, I believe Jesus just wants to say to you, why? Why this morning? Don't, don't worry, don't worry. I, I don't know who gives and who doesn't give. Don't, don't get all worried and squeamish and, and freaked out. But once again, is there an invitation here this morning from Jesus to say, okay, is that part of your life submitted to Jesus Christ? Submitted to His Lordship, the not my will, but your will be done. Others here, maybe there's some situations and circumstances in your past. Maybe it could be recent or many years ago. But there's hurt, there's disappointment, there's unmet expectation. It just keeps pulling you back to that moment, back to that season, back to that situation that happened. You feel like you're chained back to that thing. There is an invitation here this morning, I believe, from Jesus to let that go. Not in our own strength, but by giving it over to Him. By giving it over to Him. See, we read in Isaiah, that passage we read before, it says, He was beaten so we could be whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. You see, there's a call. There's a call to leave behind the past and follow Jesus into plan and purpose for your life. Maybe, maybe that's an area that, that God just wants to put His finger on this morning. That as Jesus presented to the rich young ruler and heard the amazing things that He did, He went, great, but here's one more. Here's one more. Maybe, maybe, maybe for you, it's the, it's the content you consume, the movies you watch, the music you let, you let into your life. Maybe, the, maybe what Jesus wants to put His finger on for you is that point to say, hey, is that something that's building you up? Is that bringing you closer to Christ or is it pulling you further away from who He is? Maybe that's the area of submission and obedience that God is calling you to this morning. Maybe here's just some others. Maybe it's the friends you hang around. Maybe it's the fears and the worries that you hold. Maybe it's the words that you speak, gossip, negativity, pulling others down. You see, we all have things that Jesus is inviting us to lay down for His kingdom. But here's the encouragement, is we don't have to try and do it in our own strength. We don't have to try and do it just with sheer willpower. Oh, if I just concentrate hard enough, I'll, I'll, I'll let that area go. If I just concentrate hard enough, I'll become generous. Or if I just, no, no, no. There's an invitation from God for Him to fill us with His Spirit and His strength. Romans 8:11 says this, says, If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. You know, we often talk about, uh, you know, the same Spirit that raised Christ Jesus from the dead, that's where it's quoted from, from this Scripture, dwells in me. And we think about that when we think about believing for miracles and doing great faith, ex, you know, exploits and, and seeing the Kingdom of God advance and, and grow. And, you know, it's going to be awesome because the same Spirit that raised Christ Jesus from the dead lives in me. And that's all true. But also what that means is that that same Spirit can fill us with the confidence and the power to do exactly what Jesus did. Okay, I lay down my life. I lay down my life. Father, not my will, but Your will be done. 